All right. I know Kevin, when he taught last week, and he just kept saying that we were going to do postmodernism today, and there, but there really, there is a flow to all of this and how all of this stuff works and then for the order that we do it in. And so that's really the reason why it's like, well, couldn't you flip it? Well, I could, but there's really some things that we're going to see next week under postmodernism that absorb things from secular worldview, uh, even from the, the New Age worldview, not much from Islamic, but certainly a lot from Marxist worldview, which is what we're looking at tonight. So we are going to close out next week with the postmodern worldview, and then we'll move on in into the uh, disciplines of the 10 or 11 disciplines that we have, theology, philosophy, ethics, and those kinds of things. Um, so anyway, so like I said, we're on the Marxist worldview tonight. There are some changes up here, as usual, that's not on your paper. I'll try to identify those as we get there. Uh, so you can change them if, if you want. If, if you don't want to, you don't have to change them. Okay, so the Marxism worldview. Right? Marxism, it's an atheistic and materialistic worldview based on the writings of Karl Marx. And I think we probably most of us, we get that. Right? Marxism promotes the abolition of private property, public ownership of the means of production, right, and that's private business, and it's a utopian dream of a future communistic state. And that becomes an important idea that we want to hang on to as we work through this, is that Marxism is this utopian idea, right? We're not there now, but eventually we're going to get there. Okay, and so that's that utopian idea that Marx had put forth and his followers are carrying forth. Um, so, but it's important that we hang on to that idea. It's a utopian dream of a future communistic state. All right, so, hey, look, listen, I'm going to be honest about when we need to be honest, and this is something that I think we can be honest about, is, hey, Marxism can theoretically work as long as you eliminate two things, right? It's a good idea if you eliminate these two things. Right? Original sin and human nature, it's a great idea if, if those things don't exist. It'll work every time. Secularism would work if we would eliminate these two things. Not just from our mind, but in reality. Okay? Because uh, Kevin had talked about a little bit. Of, there's a thread that kind of runs through all of these worldviews. And this is one of those threads. Right? Most worldviews that they think, people are generally good. And there's a few exceptions to that rule. But overall, people are generally good, and their worldviews are based off of, on that, right? Under Marxism, it is we just need to create a better environment, and people will become better people because we're generally good. And if we are generally good, that's a great idea, and it should work. But that problem exists. There is the doctrine of original sin, and our human natures are permeated with that doctrine. That we are inflicted with that. We're not generally good people. We're generally sinful people. Right? There is none that is righteous. No, not one. There is none that does good. But under secularism and Marxism, it's like, mm, no. There's basically generally good and there's a few bad people out there. Okay? That's the reason... If you don't get this part right, man, you're going to miss the boat on so many things. Your solutions are not going to work because you don't have this right. Right? Because when we talk about right, Marxism, we just need to create a perfect environment. Adam and Eve were in the best possible environment that existed. And they didn't even have original sin laid to their account yet. They didn't even have that on their shoulders. And yet they rebelled against God's commands. Certainly, we're not going to be able to create an environment where that doesn't happen. Uh, so Marxist, a utopian view, communism. It's not just a form of government. It's an economic system. It's an economic system, Marxism is, right? And that's the way Karl Marx saw it. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. It's based on the ownership of the means of production. Who owns the means of production? Okay. The, the utopian view is the absence of social classes. Everyone is equal in all aspects. And again, this is this once you reach utopia, right? And so in that utopia, we all own everything. That's that means of production. We all own it together. 
and we're all working together for the good of society, everybody's equal. There are no social classes. We're equal in all things. Okay, that's the utopian. And so now we look at Marxism, socialism, and communism. Right? These are terms that are often thrown out. They're often used interchangeably. But there are some subtle differences as we look at these. They're not identical words, and they don't carry identical meanings. They're close in many, many areas, but there are some subtle differences. Right? Under socialism, you, religion can exist, or freedom of religion can exist under socialism, but secularism is promoted. Secularism is promoted, but religion can exist. They can allow that to exist under socialism. Communism, it's strongly atheistic, and it cannot allow religion to exist within its realm. It cannot allow it. Communism is the stage of historical development which makes all existing religions superfluous and supersedes them. And that was Karl Marx in the Communist Manifesto. It's going to make all of those things pointless. Anything of the religious nature is unnecessary. And actually, Marx, as we'll see this later on, it's actually a hindrance to developing this uh, communistic utopian view. Religion gets in the way, according to Marx. Communism abolishes eternal truths. It abolishes all religion and morality. And again, that's Marx in the Communist Manifesto. We good? The Marxist version of socialism is the road to communism. Man, we talk about socialism a lot today. If you've got students that are off in college, uh, if they're out of secular college, I mean, these are ideas. This is a good thing. This is the way things ought to be. The only issue is, is the socialism that they're teaching in our campuses is not the socialism that's being practiced in the world. It's a bait and switch is what takes place. But socialism, Marxist version, is the road to communism. So socialism, right, it's the elimination of private property. A political and economic approach that, that believes the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned by the community as a whole. Again, that's the utopian end, but right now, until we get there, the government controls all of that. The government controls the means of production until we can reach this utopian view. Okay? Socialism, everyone owns everything. Again, that's the utopian view. Right now, the government owns everything. Right? And because people are generally good, once we reach that utopian view, the government's going to give up its authority and its power and its rule, and it's just going to give it to all the people because they'll know how to handle it. And again, that works if there's not original sin in human nature. But the reality of it is, is once you get power, it's hard to let go of power. It's hard to let go of it. So capitalism. It's an economic system in which the means of production and distribution are owned by the private citizens. Right? Prices and wages are determined by competition and the market forces of supply and demand rather than government decree. Capitalism. And so the interesting thing is, is did Marx live according to his ideas? Did he live according to his ideas that he was presenting in his philosophy? Man, he lived in England for 30 years, which was a very capitalistic country. He never tried to implement his ideas. He put all these things down in paper. It was literally 30 or 40 years later after he died that these ideas started taking root within, I'll just call it the academic community, the intelligent, intelligentsia community, uh, that's when they started taking root. Marx didn't even try to implement any of these things. He actually lived off the generosity, generosity and the financial gift of others. So he was running in pretty high cotton with these people, right? And he never worked in a factory or did physical labor. And so you have this intellectual person apparently speaking on behalf of us poor folks, Right? This is what they need. This is the idea. This is how we'll bring out equality through all of these ideas. 
he never would have been considered part of the proletariat, which that's the working class. We'll see this in just a minute. So the key document of communism or Marxism, it's the Communist Manifesto. It was written in 1848 with Frederick Engels. They kind of got together and they wrote that. Man, communism is a worldview of violence. It is a worldview of violence. Right? In the Communist Manifesto, Marx said, they openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. Let the ruling classes tremble at the communistic revolution. And literally, that idea, that revolution was how communism or Marxism was going to take over. And it's tied to the evolutionary, Darwinian evolution. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But it's all about revolution. That's how we bring it about, is through a revolution. All right? Have they been successful? In the 20th century, more than 100 million people were killed under communistic regimes. 100 million people. Uh, two weeks ago, I handed out Frederick Nietzsche's Madman poem. Anybody get a chance to read that? Man, he's literally talking about when you untether the earth from the sun, these are things that are going to happen. This is what is happening, where we have untethered the earth from its sun. Over 100 million people in the communist. They're killing and they're murdering their own people under these regimes, right? 20 to 60 million people in the Soviet Union. 40 to 70 million people in China. Under Pol Pot's regime, 2 million people in Cambodia, 1.6 million North Koreans, 1.2 million Yugoslavians. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Bart? Yeah, these were yeah yeah these were internal conflicts that were taking place where uh, and again we'll see this idea either you're for communism or you need to be eliminated. I mean that's that's the you you really don't either you convert or you die. I mean that's the reality. So yeah, that's not just wars that they're having with other nations. That's within their own nations. Over 100 million people. Man, it is a philosophy or a worldview of incredible violence. So state capitalism, it's a modified version of communism. State capitalism is the practice where state governments take ownership and management control of private businesses. These businesses still operate within the private marketplace, but they do so with government capital and power. So they're still operating out there in the private marketplace, in the private realm, but you got the government backing that. You got the government supporting that. You got the government making those things possible for those industries. Right? State, capital, state capitalism is found in these countries. Right? Russia, China, United States, Norway, Singapore, and there might have actually been a few more in there um, where we find this idea of state capitalism. All right. In the United States, we see state capitalism in these areas, the healthcare system. Green energy, the banking sectors. I think it was back in 2008, 2010, uh, the big three automakers. Man, just a virtual collapse. Right? And GM was taken over by the government. And man, tax dollars were being poured into this. That's state capitalism. Or when we see it in the banking, when the banking collapse, right? When that collapsed and then it's just like, man, the government is pouring in dollars into these banks. Man, they were, at best, they were unbelievably poorly managed. At worst, it was this flat-out fraud that the banks were committing. They're too big to fail was kind of the phrase that we would hear. State capitalism, where the government steps in and says, oh, man, it's going, to be, it's going to be worse than this if we don't do this. That's state capitalism. That's state capitalism. Those were short windows, right? Those were just short windows, but that's a good example. And, again, we've got these three right here. 
so foundational ideas of Marxism. Dialectical materialism, it says the world operates on the ideas of a thesis, which is the current norm of how things operate, and the antithesis or the antithesis, which is a new idea that is in conflict with the norm. And that's dialectical materialism. Right, the synthesis is the outcome of the conflict between the thesis and the antithesis, and it becomes the new norm. And the cycles continue in an upward progression. Okay? Economic determinism is the state's states that economics is the foundation for all society. Everything flows out of that, and it can be explained by the economic struggle between the two classes. And so this is kind of what it looks like. You know, I don't think you may just have the words on your paper, but you end up with this idea where you've got the thesis there on the left, you've got the antithesis on the right, and there's literally this conflict or this collision that happens between these two ideas. Right? And out of that conflict you get a new norm or what's the synthesis, okay? And under Marxism, that's an upward progression that takes place. And so then after a while, you've got your synthesis, you've got your new norm, it becomes the thesis, and then a new antithesis comes up against it. And you've got another conflict between these two ideas. And out of that conflict, you're going to come up with a new synthesis, a new norm, and just Culture, society, nations will continue, this is Marxism, will continue this upward progression until we reach communism, and then everything's good. Everything is good. That's dialectical materialism. That right there is dialectical materialism. And so when you see that conflict taking place, that's the revolution. That's the revolution that's taking place because we're only going to get that progress through revolution, according to Marx. Questions on that? All right. So there's two classes of people under, in Marxism. Yeah, the bourgeoisie, which are the property owners. Your paper, I think it has them as 99%. I realize my mistake, and it's 1%, right? The bourgeoisie, the property owners, they're the 1%. And then you have the proletariat. They're the property-less workers. They're the 99%, right? If you remember the Occupy Wall Street, again, a 2000, I can't even remember what, when that was, the early 2000 parts, you had this Occupy Wall Street. It was like 49 or 59 days where, man, these people were the property-less workers. And they said, we're the 99%. We're the 99, and you're the capitalist, and you're just sitting there holding everybody down, and you didn't do this on your own, and you did it on our backs. And so they called themselves the 99%. And they called the wealthy, or the, what would be the bourgeoisie, they're the 1%. And what we'll see some next week, and you want to keep this idea in mind, because now when we get into postmodernism, it literally changes not from the proletariat to the bourgeoisie, not from the 99% to the 1%. It's going to change to the oppressed and the oppressors. Okay. The bourgeoisie maintain their power and wealth at the expense or on the backs of the proletariat, and all problems flow from economic issues. It's because there's disparity in economic issues. All problems flow from that according to Marxism. Right? Class struggles not only they're not only they result, but they're encouraged. And again, it was that idea back to that dialectical materialism. Because if we don't have that conflict, we don't have any progress, any upward progress. And so it's encouraged. The revolution is encouraged that we go out and we revolt and we do the violence and we do all of these things because that helps the upward progress. Bart? Sixty-five point what? Well, you know, it just doesn't play real well. I mean, you know, I mean, how do you put that on a T-shirt? Sixty-five point nine percent. Ninety-nine percent sounds so much better, right? And the one percent, anyway. Um, yeah, I can get started on. I don't want to go down the road. Uh, Marxism and God. 
right? And Marxism, materialism, and atheism are non-negotiables. Are non-negotiables. Again, this is not one of these ideas that, like under some forms of socialism, you can turn around and you can have religion, and it's okay, right? The state religion would be secularism, but you can go ahead and practice whatever you want, not in Marxism, not in communism. That's not tolerated. That is not tolerated. Right? Materialism says that only the physical matter exists. There's nothing outside of the physical world. There is no supernatural. Atheism says there is no God. And again, we go back to those two things. If these things didn't exist, Marxism would be a great idea, right? The doctrine of sin and human nature. Well, as soon as you eliminate God, again, that's back to Nietzsche's poem. We've untethered ourselves from the truth of reality that there is no God. Then we have no foundation for calling anything good or evil, right or wrong. That lies in the hands of the state. That lies in the hands of the state. In our evolutionary concept of the universe, there is absolutely no room for either a creator or a ruler, Frederick Engels. Absolutely no room. The problem of communism is not an economic problem. The problem of communism is the problem of atheism. Theodore Dostoevsky said that. He was a Russian author and activist. I don't know what you, but he was certainly an author and he spoke out against, spent a lot of time in prison, in a Russian prison. Uh, so Marxism and evolution. So we're going to get to this, right? Evolution is, a foundation, is foundational to Marxism because it offers a viable alternative to divine creation and the divine creator. Whether it makes sense or not, whether it's true or not, you know what? That gives us our out. There is no divine creator. It's all through natural selection. See, the problem that Marx had with this Darwinian evolution, he was way too slow. It was way too slow. And for his followers, it was the same thing. We've got to speed this whole process up. I'm good with it. We recognize that. We just don't got millions and millions and millions and billions of years. I got a lifetime. And so they take this ideas of Darwinian evolution and apply it to the economic structure. But we've got to help this process along. Thus the revolution. The idea of creation of the earth has received a severe blow from the science which portrays the development of the earth as a process of spontaneous generation. It is the only practical refutation of the theory of creation. Karl Marx. And again, when we talk about how did we get here, there's only two options. There really is only two options. There's only two things that are out there. It's supernatural creation or it's evolution. There's not a third option. And so either as, as a Darwinian evolution, all my eggs are in that basket. We've got to make it work. Because if it fails, that diverts us to the next option, supernatural creation. Communism cannot allow that to stand. And so, right, you know, the heavy boot of the government is going to come down on religion. It will come down on religion. You see this in China with the Uyghur population that's going on. It's literal genocide that's taking place in China. The Uyghur population is a Muslim population that exists within China, and China is just systematically wiping them out. And communism is a violent philosophy. It's a violent philosophy. In Marxism, evolution is not just biological, but it's also sociological. Marx believed human beings and their civilizations, civilizations were continually evolving toward communism, which would be that utopian society. And again, that's back to the dialectical materialism. Um, again, that idea just keeps coming up and up and up, which was foundational to uh, his philosophy. So you have Marxism and humanity. You know, what does Marxism say about that, right? It believes humans are products of evolution and they're in a constant state of change, okay? Humans are just matter in motion. 
that are hopefully growing in class consciousness. All right, when we talk about evolution, there's really no reason that you would grow in class consciousness. But that is our hope. That is our hope that that's what would take place because out of class consciousness, we will develop a new ethic, the proletariat morality. We have to develop this new ethic to help push Marxism. Right? The proletariat morality believes that whatever advances the cause of communism is morally good and whatever hinders communism is morally evil. And so if this is your belief, what we can end up doing under this concept, under this philosophy is, is we call evil good and good evil. Look, we don't need any help in justifying our our selfish ideas, right? Human, we're the great justifiers, and I'm probably the best of, of the best, right? But that's literally, if wiping out 80 million of our own people is going to help the progress of Marxism, then so be it. Then so be it. Right? Joseph Stalin said, the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. Man, I just had to sit there and read that a couple of times. And I've heard it before, and I'm sitting there putting this back in, and it's just like just a statistic. And the crazy thing is, is you need to make it a statistic because obviously what happens so often under communism is your people starve. Because that's what his reference he made this to was starvation. It's just a statistic when he comes into millions it's not even a human being anymore. You're just a number. You're just a number. We talked um, two weeks ago. I keep got to back up. We talked about this idea of freedom of worship and freedom of religion, right? If you were here, if you weren't, here it is, right? Communistic countries, man, in their constitutions, they have freedom of worship. You can read China's constitution and they brag on this. You go, oh yeah, we, our people have freedom of worship. Our people have freedom of worship. They just don't have freedom of religion, right? Freedom of worship is you can worship how you want as long as it's inside your, the confines of those walls. And even in China, right, it's the... Um, Oh, the Three People's Church, or I can't, their, their national church, I think it's something like that. It's Three People's Church. And that's the state church. Not very religious. Actually, you have to, you basically, you're paying homage to, well, it would be Z now, right? The communist leader there. And so you have to register to go to this church, and you're tracked, and you're followed. But, man, the cool thing is, is the underground church in China, man, it is growing. We don't even know how fast it's growing. It's growing so fast, the underground church. And so when somebody in China says they're a Christian, they really are. It's just not beneficial for me or it gets me into the country club or whatever the case is. They really are Christians because they're going to pay with their life. They're going to pay with their life. The church is just exploding in China. So freedom of worship is not the same as freedom of religion. Freedom of worship may allow you to gather and worship in public places, but it does not guarantee people the right to live out and promote their religious convictions in a lawful manner. And so when you hear people talking, that's a catchphrase that you need to listen for. Oh, I'm for freedom of worship. Antennas should go up. Your antennas should go up. And the first thing should be, oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? What does freedom of worship mean? Because that's kind of a new term for me. And let them explain that to you. Oh, is that the same as freedom of religion? Right? It's because when the terms are used and we just let them go, it's when they become most dangerous. Because it's assumed to be natural. It's just assumed to be natural. So, what's wrong with humanity? What does Marxism say? 
right? Marxism rejects the Christian view that humans are sinful by nature and in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They reject that, as does secularism, as does new spirituality or new age. And again, that's that common thread that we, we see continue to run through some of these worldviews. Right? Humanity's problems are due to economic injustices brought about by capitalistic economic structure. Again, everything's tied to economics with Marxism. Everything is tied to that. The foundation is atheism, but they build off of that, and this is where their philosophy gets, gets them to. Marxism says property owners, the bourgeoisie, are evil, and the property less, the proletariat, are good. Again, when you start looking at the idea, this will be next week, but critical theory, we change that from property owners to the oppressed and the oppressors. Right? It's still a Marxist idea. It just changed from economics right, to identity. Still a Marxist idea. Marxism claims that religion, Christianity in particular, hinders to communistic progress. Marx called religion the opium of the people. It hindered that. And not only did religion hinder that, but so did family. Because under the communistic regime, right, the, the state will raise your children. The state will raise your children. And it's not because we, just, we think we can do it better. It's because, you know what, while I'm raising your children, you can go out and be working. And then we're going to raise your children to think like we think and to do what we do. It's all about work. It's all about driving the economy. So the Bible and communism. Man, we're going to finish early, early, early up. I should, did I sound really excited on that? I'm sorry. Wow, that just, wow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Bible and communism. I mean, doesn't the Bible tell us to care for the poor and to sell our property and to give it to those in need? I've heard this before. I mean, the Bible supports Marxism. Jesus is a socialist. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. This is serious. And so, the, I mean, these are examples that they use, right? James 1.27 tells us to feed the poor, right? Acts 2, 44 through 45 and 4, 32 through 35 tells us to sell our property and to give it to those who are in need. That's all we're doing in Marxism. I mean, I know we, we reject all that Christian stuff, but this just supports our view. Man. As followers of Christ, we are called to feed the poor, and we are called to help those in need, right? But we're not forced to do it. We are to do so from a heart of love and compassion, not from state-sanctioned laws and force. We should want to help those in need. But that's not what communism and Marxism does. They force it. It's the redistribution of wealth. We'll take it from the 1%, and we'll give it to the 99%. All right, so here's some closing thoughts. Marxism has failed everywhere it's been tried. Everywhere it's been tried. I had a college student, it's probably about a year and a half ago, tell me, no, no, Marx, it, socialism's working. They don't call it Marxism. Socialism's working. I said, well, tell me where? Norway. And I'm like, let's talk about Venezuela. Venezuela was a democratic country Man, had great oil production. Man, it, was, it was a democracy that was doing well, right? And then the communists came and take over. In 10 years, they've destroyed the country. Let's talk about Norway. I'm like, no, let's talk about Cuba. Let's talk about Venezuela, right? Because you're only getting one half of that story. We need to bring all of it in, right? And so it's... Um, it just hasn't been done well yet, right? It just hasn't been done well yet. And, and look, let's be honest, isn't that just the sheer arrogance of Americans, right? We can do it better than everybody else, and we can make it work. Well, it hasn't been. As we get into this whole idea, you can, it can't work. 
Remember a doctrine of original sin and human nature? You're never going to get there because you're working against the purpose and design that everything has been created and put forth on. I can say God doesn't exist, but that doesn't make him non-existent. And I can believe it with all my heart. I can be really sincere about it. That doesn't change that God's created everything with purpose and design. And when you leave out important facets of God's story, right? It may, it may feel good and it may sound good, but it's going to lead you to wrong solutions. It's going to lead you to wrong solutions. And that's what Marxism does. It starts out with a false foundation. There is no God. And all of our problems are economic. There are economic problems. There are economic problems, but not all of our problems are economic. Our greatest problem is sin. That's our greatest problem. So if we don't get that right, everything else is going to be suspect. And we can even look at Marxism, we can look at communism, we can look at socialism. And you know what, man, there's good, thing, there's good reasons in there. We should help the poor. That is a good motivation for wanting to do these things, right? And Scripture does tell us to help the poor. It's just how we are to help them is what's up for debate, right? Every lie, a good lie at least, has some truth in it, has some truth in it. But some truth doesn't lead to all truth. Some truth doesn't lead to all truth. Right? Marxism has failed everywhere it's been tried. It keeps coming back under new management. And it comes under new names. You know, people will despair at the idea of, oh, that's just Marxist ideology and, and Oh, you know, and they don't, they don't want to be called that. Okay, that's fine. Let's call it what it is. You can call it critical theory. Right? It's still Marxist ideas that take place under that. And so we need to look for the ideas, not the labels. And so when we have discussions, talk about ideas, not labels. Right? Because an idea, okay, I reject your label, but I have to deal with that idea. I have to deal with that idea. Any theory that does not account for the evil within us cannot account for the evil in the world, and any solution that is proposed will eventually put evil people in control. They will eventually be in control. Questions? All right. So, got this out of Mama Bear Apologetics. Right? When Marxists talk about injustice, they really mean differences. If you've never read this book, my wife's reading through it, and so she just said, oh, you need to read this chapter right here. It's an amazing book, Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm like, I'm not even a mama or a bear, but it's really good stuff. It's really good stuff. And so anyway, so she said that's on page 224. It's about differences. It's about inequality. We need equality for all people. And equality means equal outcome, right? And that's that Marxist view of utopianism. Once, when we get there... Everything's going to be equal. We all own it together. It's all good. Nobody has more than the next person. It's about equality. And as we move into postmodern next week, you'll see that that is a heavy emphasis within postmodernism. It's equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. If you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one. These are not on there. I just added them afterwards. Uh, so you may want to take a picture of that. Uh, what would you say? Videos, uh, socialism is the answer. And then the second one is, is Jesus was a socialist. The first one's maybe five minutes long. The second one's mm, eight minutes. Definitely worth watching these things. Definitely worth watching these things. Um, so anyway. Questions? Problems? Yeah. This might be too much to answer, but why did the greatest generation allow our education, our education system 
materialism. You know, we get involved in making and getting. And we, we probably give trust where we shouldn't have given trust. Um, I mean, there's probably a lot that kind of that falls underneath of that. Um, but those are just two quick points that come to mind. Is, is You know, we, we, we gave trust to where we shouldn't have been given trust. Um, I don't know if that helps you or not, but that's just just a couple quick thoughts. Yeah, Parker. Yeah, if those were only our problems today, huh? Yeah. Well, and when you get into the educational system, I mean, that's really a pretty modern idea. I mean, it was really brought about by Dewey and Horace Mann, really probably back in the 30s and the 40s is where this started working, and this idea of a public education came in. Well, Dewey and Horace Mann were both Marxists to the core. And so they bring in, well, we just need to get all the kids into the public education so we can, we can educate them better. So we can educate them better. And now it's not just better because we're the experts, the teachers, and the administrators are now the experts. And so, I mean, those ideas have been, have been permeating, again, since the 40s, 50s, this idea of this modern education system that exists today. And like I said, it was ushered in by a guy named Dewey and then, like I said, Horace Mann, who, who made his millions through insurance and stuff. But uh, I'm, I'm not against insurance. Don't get me wrong. Um, so it is. Um, so, yeah. But then I can't remember. It was actually it was a Catholic bishop that said this. He said, give me your children up through the eighth grade and I'll have them for life. I can't remember who said it, but, and that is so true. It says, man, man, so much of those formative years are up to the eighth grade. And then much of the worldview is going to be set. Much of the worldview is going to be set by that time. Anything else? Well, you know, again, I mean, under Marxism, they would not own, everybody would own it in community or in commune. And so it's not like, oh, hey, come to my land or come to my house. It's this like, I just show up at your house because it's my house. And your food is my food. And you're like, that ain't happening, Rick. You're not just showing up like that. Right? But. Ultimately, what happens is, and this will come out more next week under postmodernism is, is when you've got the oppressed and the oppressors, and so we need to, we need to level that playing field. Um, well, then what happens is, is the oppressed become the oppressors. I mean, that's what's going to happen. And it's just like, well, there's all these wealthy people. This is what I know. Most wealthy people, they make decisions that help generate wealth. And most poor people make decisions that generate poverty. So we could take all the money in America from everybody and we can distribute it equally amongst all people. I think it's within 15 years, all the people that had the money would have it back again. And all the people that didn't have money, they wouldn't have any money within 15 years. There's a reason why I don't have money, right? I don't make decisions that make money. Bart. Bart. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, and so you have this idea. I mean, no, again, that doesn't mean we can't help people make those decisions and help them move along. Right? I don't know if I've shared this before. Um, but there's really just four things. We can end poverty, and I think I have talked about somewhere in this, this class some point in time, right? You know, you had the war on poverty back in the 60s. And we spent billions of dollars, and we really haven't moved that, that poverty bar much. We could end poverty in one generation if we'll do four things. One, get an education. Get a job. Keep it. Get married. Have babies. If we can do those four things, for the most part, I'm not saying completely, for the most part, you can eliminate poverty in America. But what do we do? We have babies. We may or may not finish school. A job? Maybe. Marriage? Why? It's just a piece of paper. Purpose and design. All of those things are principles, if not straight out scripture, that we find in the Bible. What do you say to somebody that is living with somebody and said, well, we're practically married anyway? I had a, a woman say that to me, and I was so startled by it. Of course, it's like a checkout line that's quick, but I was like, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, you're practically married? Yeah, you're pra we're practically married anyway, so what's the point? Yeah. You know what's interesting is, is the greatest way to build wealth is you get married. Huh? Man, it's, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, look, there's lots of good things. I'm not saying get married so you can build wealth. That's not what I'm saying, okay? It's like, yeah, what's what Rick said? You can get rich if you get married, especially if you marry the right person. Right? If you marry somebody like me, it's like, yeah, no. I said, my wife married me for my millions and she's still looking for them. Right? It's just not gonna happen. But get married, man, that's the best way that you can generate wealth. Right? Own a home. That's how poor people like me generate wealth. We own a home and we pour in and right, we got the mortgage and we got that stuff going on. Well, you don't, but here's what there's all of these benefits within marriage. I'm getting to the point. <laughs> She's like, come on. <laughs> We're really not getting out of here early, okay? No. And so it is, so there's all of these benefits that come with being married, right? The issue is, is when you cohabitate and you're living together, you don't get those benefits. They don't work out that way. Abuse is like 25% higher in cohabitation. Two people living together. Physical abuse of the women. Mental, emotional abuse. Their children, the same thing. And so you've got the abuse rate that just goes through the roof from... Marriage up to the cohabitation. You don't get those same benefits by living together. You don't get them. And hang on a second. And most of the time you think, well, we're just practicing so we can figure out this marriage thing. No, most of them, they don't even get married. And so all of the harm, I'm sorry, all of the benefits that you would think, oh, yeah, well, we're getting those things out of marriage. We're just not married. Because there's a commitment involved. There's a commitment involved saying, I'm with you to the end. The other thing is, there's God's design is involved. And that's really the first thing. That's really the first thing. It's God's purpose and design. Right? Jesus with the woman at the well. <laughs> You've been married five times and you're living with a man who's not your husband. He didn't say, Atta girl, you're going to build some good wealth out of that. <laughs> God's going to be pleased. No. It was sin. It's not practically marriage. And so when people say that, they really have a, one, they have a low view of marriage. They have a low view of their partner. They have a low view of God. And they have a high view of self. Yes, sir. Yeah. Going back and forth and securing the kids. And I have five kids that have all graduated from college now. No student loans 
yep. Well, we can really, yeah, and that's awesome, and that's awesome, but we can really boil that instant gratification down to sex. Am I allowed to say that here? Okay, just checking. Um, It boils down to sex, because what happened was, is I think it was in the 1950s, I really wasn't alive back then, so I'm just, this is things that I've read, and so, and they're like, really, I'm not sure about that, right? What's the pill? was the pill. And what we did with the pill is, is we've separated sex from having babies. Right? And then what we end up, it's like, wow, not only do we separate sex from having babies, now we can separate sex from marriage. We can separate that from marriage. And so with each decade, we've moved further and further along, further away from God's purpose and design. Because once we start separating sex from marriage and sex from babies, then it becomes a free-for-all. And you know who gets hurt? The women and the children. They get hurt. And again, these are ideas that are pushed forth because we think people are generally good. Secularism, new age, new spirituality, Marxism. It's going to be the same, same story next week under postmodernism. It's going to be the same story next week. Anything else? Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Man, let me, let me close this in prayer. Blessed Father, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful. And, Lord, there is nothing that you do that is not good and glorious and magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, you have given us. You're not a cosmic killjoy, Lord. You desire your best for our lives, for our families, for our culture, for our church. And so, Lord, I pray that we would think well about you. We would think highly of you, and we would think rightly of ourselves. And, uh, Lord, we would, we would exalt the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would seek out your purpose and design for our lives and, Lord, we would live it. Lord, it's not enough just to go and, and have this knowledge. Lord, we've got to live it in our lives for it to become real, not only to our families but to our communities. And so I just pray for each person here, Lord. I thank you for them, um, that you will bless them, you will keep them, you will guide them safely home tonight, that your face would shine upon them. And, Lord, that you would just give them that supernatural wisdom that comes only from your throne of mercy and grace, that we would know how to respond uh, to the lies about us, but we would always respond in grace and mercy and love and kindness. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we ask these things. Amen.